Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. start out with Colossians 3.15. It says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So something happened when the pandemic hit, and suddenly we were all like forced back into our homes. And what happened during this time is we realized that maybe our houses don't fit us as, <laughs> as we thought they did, or maybe we didn't like the way they were laid out, or maybe we couldn't homeschool our children now that we had to, or work from home. And we started to realize that this, when things started to shake, where we were sitting, where we lived was not good for us. So there was this big um, movement in real estate and things started coming off the market like crazy, right? My husband and I have been in real estate for like 15 years, maybe longer now, but anyway, a long time. And what we have um, learned is that people aren't always eager to move until they are ready. They don't want to move. The idea of moving is not so great until it's like, you know what, this house just doesn't work for us. Then they can't unsee it, and then they know they have to move. And so what I am sharing with you, what we're going to be sharing with you in this next six weeks is why the place that sometimes we live is not good enough. It's not the place that God established for us. It's not the place he called us to live. He called us not just to be inheritors of his peace, but residents of it. And some of us, we've been content with just visiting this place of peace or letting it be our vacation home. And he's saying, no, 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 see, I want you to take this as a residence place, a place of new permanency in your life. I want you to know that the place that you lived before you saw my peace and my goodness, it's not going to do because things start shaking in there and you start being discontent and you start grumbling and complaining. But when you step into the place that God has called you and you live from the place of peace, everything changes. You now live from that peace and you can make peace from that place and purvey it and distribute it like he's called you to. You don't make peace from nothing. It has to come from someplace. You have to be in that residence in order to establish peace wherever you go. 
So in Colossians 3.15, when it says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, that means that it's there. It lives there. You live in it. It lives with you. For members of one body, you are called to live in where? Peace. That's where you're called to live is peace. That's where we are called to live. So peace is not just my inheritance. Peace is my residence. And if we're discussing peace, we have to talk about what disturbs our peace, what comes to steal it from us, what causes us to move out. And that is conflict. We don't love this word conflict, but I'm here to tell you that conflict is not a matter of if, but when. It happens. Right now we know in um, Ukraine, that is their place of peace. That's where the Ukrainians have lived. And what's happening? There's a conflict and Russia is trying to push them out and say, you don't get to live here anymore. They're forcing them outside of a place of peace through conflict. So what happens? This beautiful thing I saw yesterday when these refugees are crossing the border in Berlin, there's all these people at the train station and on their posters, they're holding up hundreds of them. These like, um, because of the language barrier, there's like stick figures of how many people they can receive in their home. So do you see that God, even if you're in conflict, God is establishing a new place of peace for you to come back to. You return to peace. You live in peace. This is your residence. Ronald Reagan said, peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. And throughout this um, series, that is what we're going to be learning about. Who did Jesus call us to be? Peacemakers. Peacemakers. That means residents of peace. And so to frame this up for us, I want to share this story. We're going to be in Genesis 31, if you have your Bible with you, or the Bible app. That's like having your Bible, too, in 2022. So, Genesis 31. And there's a story of Jacob and Laban. Now, Jacob was Isaac's son, and um, he was about, he was ready to be married, and so his father said, listen, Jacob, I don't want you to marry a Canaanite woman, so go back to the land of your uncle Laban, Padan Aram, and try to find, isn't that a funny name, Padan Aram? Like Bananagrams? Anyway, go back, are you guys awake? <laughs> it's okay, we laugh a little bit. Um, go back to this place and find a wife. And so he says, okay, he's obedient, and he comes to the well of his uncle, and his cousins are there, and there's some sheep and some goats and camels and all that, and they're watering the animals, is what they called it. And he sees Rachel. And Rachel is Laban's daughter. And yes, it's his first cousin, but we're going to get over that, and we're going to move on. <laughs> and so he falls in love with her. He goes back to his uncle. There's rejoicing. And his uncle's so happy that he's there. And, and Jacob works for him for about a month before Laban says, you know what, I don't think it's right for to work for me for free, so tell me what it is that you want and I'll pay you. And Jacob says, I've been waiting for this. I love your daughter, Rachel. I want to marry her, so I'll work for you for seven years and in return receive your daughter as my wife. And Laban's like, agreed! And that's what it says in the Bible. There's a big exclamation point. Everybody's happy. There's wonderful, no conflict at all, peace everywhere. Until seven years pass. And I don't know what Laban's issue is, but he doesn't, he, he omits some 
information. And so he tells, um, it's the wedding feast, and Jacob's all excited, and he's about to have his bride that he's worked so hard to receive. And that night, in the darkness, because there's no electricity, Laban's like, I'm going to switch. And I'm going to put Leah in the bed with him instead of Rachel. And he was like, wait a minute, in the morning, you're not the same one I thought I married. This is weird now. And Laban, he goes to Laban, he says, what's the deal with this man? And Laban says, oh, you know, I forgot to tell you this, but no big deal. See, in our family, it's customary that you marry the firstborn daughter first. He's like, yeah, information that would have been useful to me like for seven years. But I don't know if Laban was just thinking, look, I have seven years to marry this girl off, and I'm sure it'll be fine. But there were no other suitors. <laughs> so here it comes down to that last wedding, the first wedding night. And Leah's in bed with him, and now... He's got a wife, but he still loves Rachel. So Laban says, listen, I'll give you Rachel if you promise to work for me for another seven years. Well, Jacob loves Rachel and says, absolutely, I'll do it. So he marries sisters in the same week. The Bible is full of stories like this. It's very interesting. You should read them. So he works for him for seven years. They have all these children. The 12 tribes of Israel come from these women. And so as they go, uh, Jacob says, all right, it's time for me to leave. I've done all this. I've paid off my debts. I have a family now. It's time for me to go back to my own home. And Laban says, I have seen God's hand upon you and the blessing that is on you, for my flocks have grown with you as the shepherd, and I've become a wealthy man too. And I want you to know that because of where you live as a peacemaker, the blessing that belongs to you as a child of God also belongs to those who you work for, those who are in your sphere of influence, those who um, are around you, the people at the hospital if you're in the hospital, the people on your plane if you're on a plane. When I was young, my dad said, Aaron, everybody that is on that plane with you is blessed because you're on it. And I believed him because I know my father on earth wouldn't lie to me and my father in heaven is good. And by the way, if that plane goes down, I'm going to preach to everybody. So everybody gets that blessing. <laughs> so here's the deal. You get the others around you get the blessing of you knowing God. There's a blessing and a favor on your life because you believe in him. And so that's what happened to Laban, even though he was an Aramean and he served other gods and worshiped other gods. So Laban says, all right, here's the deal. You can't take any of these sheep unless they are not, unless they're speckled or black. You can take, so miraculously, anyway, he, he grew his own flock out of the flock that was Laban's. Okay, just by miracle. You'll have to go read the story. It's really awesome. For six years. Until one day, in chapter 31, verse 1 through 3, it says this. I'm going to read it out of my notes the Bible without my glasses. <laughs> All right. So it says, but Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything. Do you see their perception? They said, he has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there. And I 
something shifted in the heart of Laban because of some grumbling and some complaining. There was an intrapersonal conflict. Nothing had happened between Jacob and Laban. There were some other people musing on about what they thought was going on, and it it came into the heart of Laban, and he acted differently toward Jacob. And so God was like, I'm going to get you out of there, man. This isn't going to be good for you. So Genesis 31, 20 through 30, this is what Jacob does. He decides to leave because the Lord told him to. And Jacob outwitted Laban the Aramean, for they set out secretly and never told Laban they were leaving. So Jacob took all his possessions with him across the Euphrates River, heading for the hill country of Gilead. Three days later, now what we have to understand is not like their neighbors, like we have neighborhoods like now. This is like acres and acres. There was probably some shepherding fields in between, so they could go a few days without seeing their closest neighbors, their family. So he says, three days later, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. He gathered a group of his relatives, set out in hot pursuit. He caught up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country of Gilead. But the previous night, God had appeared to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream and told him, I'm warning you, leave Jacob alone. Laban caught up with Jacob as he was camped in the hill country of Gilead, and he set up camp not far from Jacob's. What do you mean by deceiving me like this? When he comes up to Jacob, what do you mean by deceiving me like this, right? Now keep in mind, this is the guy that switched the wives. This is his going, moving in. He switched the wives on Jacob, and he's like, what do you mean by deceiving him, by deceiving me like this? All right. Laban demanded, how dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why did you slip away secretly? Why did you deceive me? And why didn't you say you wanted to leave? I would have given you a farewell feast. It's like, well, I tried to tell you six years ago, but didn't really want to listen. He said, with singing and music accompanied by tambourines and harps, why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grandchildren and tell them goodbye? And this is where we get the heart of what Laban was really concerned about. And that was that when Jacob left, he no longer left by himself. Now he left with precious people to Laban, a part of his heart. You have acted very foolishly. I could destroy you, and this was true, but the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me, leave Jacob alone. So then they, he said, by the way, too, you also took some of my gods. I'm a little upset about that. I'm going to go through all your stuff to find out if you did. So he's rummaging through all of his stuff, and at this point, Jacob is fuming. All these years, just building up and building up and building up. And finally, he says, Jacob becomes very angry, and he challenged Laban What's my crime, he demanded. What have I done wrong to make you chase after me as though I were a criminal? You have rummaged through everything I own. Now show me what you found that belongs to you. Set it out here in front of us before our relatives for all to see and let them judge. For 20 years, I have been with you, caring for your flocks. In all that time, your sheep and goats have never miscarried. In all those years, I never used a single ram of yours for food. 
If any were attacked and killed by wild animals, I never showed you the carcass and asked you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss myself. You made me pay for every stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or in the dark of night. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years, I slaved in your house. I worked for 14 years earning your two daughters and then six more years for your flock and you changed my wages 10 times. In fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty handed. But God has seen your abuse and my hard work. That is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. You have these two men at odds, both desiring something. There's a definition of conflict that says it begins when someone takes an action that is perceived as a threat to someone else's territory, either physical, social, so power, or position, and the threatened person launches a reaction aimed at protecting the territory. Do you see that happening here? Another definition says a conflict is more than just a disagreement. It is a situation in which one or both parties perceive a threat whether or not the threat is real. They have a perceived threat, and Jacob has gone years and years never saying what he's really upset about. He's only asked to leave. And Laban thought, have you ever been in these conversations? You're like, I didn't know you felt that way. And you're like, oh, and that person's like, I told you that one time. And you're like, oh, maybe I'm a little hard-headed. I need to hear a few more times if you have, like, a real issue because sometimes we don't see the way that we sin and Laban certainly didn't he thought this is how you acted towards people he didn't know perhaps so it says here that they decided in the midst of it Laban said okay I hear you I'm gonna hear you and this is a supernatural thing that's happening do you see how God told Jacob to leave and then God protected Jacob when he was running after him, when Laban was running after him. And then he came to Laban in the middle of the night. Laban told Jacob about that vision. And then Jacob was courageous in his response to Laban. And Laban, who was ready to fight, put down his weapon. Jacob, who was ready to flee, stood up for himself and was courageous. This is a supernatural way of peacemaking. See, there's two natural responses we have physiologically when we're moving in conflict. Our bodies kind of just naturally do this. And so there was a Harvard Health study some years ago. And there's a, I have an illustration of the brain up there, um, if we can bring that up. And it's our natural reaction, our response in conflict. And much of what we've learned over the years about conflict are based on theories or fight or flight. So let me tell you what happens in our bodies when we naturally react. When we naturally react, via inter interpersonal, so that's with other people, or intrapersonal within ourselves. Scientists have discovered high levels of these responses can negatively affect the body, both physically and physiologically. So when it confronted with conflict, especially if it is stress-inducing, here's what happens. Our bodies, the amygdala there, is an emotional interpreter of the information that's sent by the cerebral cortex. So if it's sent in there, 
and they interpret that information. And the hypothalamus, or the amygdala, sends a warning to the hypothalamus, which is the communication hub of the brain. The hypothalamus determines in each situation whether it is best to fight or to flight. In response, it revs up the engine of the sympathetic nervous system. If fight, this part of your nervous system launches your heart rate, launches your muscles and blood pumping to hit as hard as possible. If you are ready to fight, say there's a bear coming. You got to get that mace out real fast and you're real strong and quick or throw your punch or whatever you got to do. But your body instantly in milliseconds is responding. Or if you're not so good at punching, the response chosen is flight and you get the same rush of adrenaline so you can run as fast as possible. This naturally happens, you cannot even help it. After the perceived threat is gone, the amygdala applies the brakes via the parasympathetic nervous system, helping your heart rate and every other function to return to normal. Isn't God cool? The problem is now that more than ever, our brains are functioning at a low level of this response almost constantly. If you just think, ah, I'm going to escape a minute, I'm just going to scroll through social media, and then what happens? Somebody puts a post politically that you don't like. Suddenly you're like, do I respond to this or do I let it go? Do I respond or do I let it go? And you're ready to fight or flight. Or the news is on for a little bit. And you're thinking, what do I do? What do I do? So Harvard Health Study said there are some places where our body can respond and cool off a bit. Ways to combat the instant reaction via the brain, because right now we're perceiving constant threats all the time. There's two ways it found, and I love when um, science affirms and confirms what is biblical. It's really cool to see, right? So the first one is relaxation, and you're like, wow, that's great. But they discovered how to relax properly to let things go. Two proven relaxation methods were concentrating on the word peace. Hello, who is peace? His name is Jesus. We are constantly to keep our eyes focused on him and what he is able and capable and made and created to do. Our eyes constantly on the person of peace, Jesus. He's not, it's not just a word. He is a person. He is the creator of peace, the divine authority of peace, concentrating on peace in himself. And the second one is repetitive prayer or meditation, this place of constantly reminding ourselves who is peace, where we live from, who we are called to be, praying without ceasing, God, would you come and intervene in this place? God, would you come and bring them grace? God, would you come and help them see? God, would you come and help me see? This constant, constant prayer is how we relax. We don't go there all the time. We scroll, we binge, do all these other things. But this is how we let go of this constant conflict. And then the second thing beyond relaxation is community. Can you believe that? Yes, you can, because it's true. Community, it's this reminding of each other. 
what we are called to do, which is to focus our eyes on Jesus and to pray for that person and that situation and ourselves and thank God and be gracious and filled with gratitude at the wonder of his love. And so you see in Jacob and Laban's story, one who is ready to flee, and that's his constant MO for 20 years. He sort of just kept things normal. Okay, that's fine. I'll work seven years for you again. I'll work six more years. Okay, yep. And supernaturally charged with courage when he knew the Lord was for him and that his blessing was peace. And then with Laban, this man who was ready to fight and take all the time what he, wasn't even his, but he wanted to put his name on it. He wanted to fight and get what he wanted from Jacob. And here you see him laying down his weapons. What about us? How do we feel about conflict? I felt like for a long time, I learned more in my five years of corporate America experience about conflict and training than I ever did in the church. But the church is where it belongs. That's where it has to be talked about. God wrote it in his word. What do we do? How do we live at peace with one another? And he constantly called us to it. He wouldn't call us to something if he wasn't able to equip us with that. So it's all throughout his word. But what about us? Often we wouldn't, we would, I don't think any of us would be like, I love conflict. But do you love a good story? Did you love that story I just told you? Yeah. Why do we love those stories? Because there's good conflict in it. And what happens when there's conflict is there's resolution. There's hope that comes naturally because we have to see that story end well. It's knit into our hearts when God created us. He said, you are going to have a hope in you that will help you know that these stories have to resolve and you'll partner with me until they do, until my kingdom comes. This is knit into us. So in Jacob and Laban's story, here's the resolution. Laban finally comes to himself. He says, okay, this isn't going to go well. This man is now courageous and the Lord is with him. I have to let him go. So here's what we're going to do. This is the place in the Bible where boundaries are created. He said, I'm going to take these stones, I'm going to pile them up. And what's going to happen is this is going to be a memorial place, and God is going to stand as judge between us. These stones stand between us as a witness of our vow. Genesis 31, 52 says, I will never pass this pile of stones to harm you, Laban says, and you must never pass these stones or this monument to harm me. They put up these boundary lines to keep peace between them. Laban called on God, whom he doesn't worship, to stand as a judge between the two of them, and Jacob agrees. Laban got up early the next morning, and he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them, and he left and returned home. We needed the resolution of that story because hope is built in us. And that is why conflict is so important. Conflict is necessary. Where there is no conflict, there's peace, right? We can't make peace in a peaceful place. It's already there. 
So where do we make peace? In conflict. But sometimes we're confused by conflict. We have a lack of knowledge. We've made wrong agreements about it because maybe we fled and somebody ran after us. So we're like, I'm just going to keep running for the rest of my life. I'm never going to stop because I'll be put at risk. I'm going to fight forever because one time I didn't fight and somebody got me. And so now I'm always going to fight. I'm never going to lay down my weapons. And we make these agreements that says never again. And the Lord says, no, you're confused. And we perish by lack of knowledge, the Bible says. So this series, that's what we're talking about. We lack the biblical truth. And then sometimes we hate conflict. Because it calls us to do something beyond our comfort zone. That moving part I told us about at the beginning. I really like my stuff. And when I think about it, it feels like it's going to be a lot to pack up and move. So I'd rather just stay here. So when people would come and they would buy a house with me, I would tell them, tonight when you go home, you're going to think you made a bad decision. That's just what happens to every person. You get buyer's remorse. This is bad. You look at all your stuff. I really don't want to pack it up. This house isn't so bad. Do I really like the other one? You start questioning everything. And then you want to cancel what's been given to you. So I'm going to tell you something. Your mind is going to want you to stay where you are. And that is your truth. But the truth says you are not called to live there. The truth says you are called to live in peace. The truth says you are a peacemaker. And you can and will move into conflict. And your understanding of conflict will help you change your perception of conflict. As peacemakers, we can't be freaked out or shocked by conflict. We have, over the years, Mickey and I have shared some um, lovely, I guess, counseling or just, you know, sharing some marital advice with newly married or young couples. And as we sit with them, we try to tell them some of our experience. And I always feel awkward because I feel like it's like this private in boot camp and I'm like handing them their first weapon or like their tactical gear. They're like, why would I ever need this? But (laughs) I feel bad like I'm taking their innocence away when I tell them this verse, which is 1 Corinthians 7, 28. But if you do get married, you haven't sinned. It's just that I would want you to spare it's just that I would want to spare you the problem you'll face with the extra challenges of being married. That seemed like a little rude. Like, <laughs> don't worry, you haven't sinned. Like, oh, that's a good start. Um, but also, I just want to warn you that when you do get married, you're going to have some extra problems. And it's sort of uh, kind of a bummer moment. But it's because you have an extra person to care for, right? And then soon you'll have all these extra people to care for. And so when there's extra people, there's extra problems, extra opportunities for conflict. And so over the years, Mickey and I have learned, um, though I wasn't good at this in the beginning, that conflict really is an opportunity for growth. It's like each conflict represents one of these stones that Laban and Jacob were stacking up as a memorial to say there was some stuff that went down here. But now because of this, we've created boundaries in our marriage that are actually really healthy. There's some places I'm not going to go past because I know what that involves for you. And I love you too much for that. 
And so we're going to create good boundaries and healthy places for us to really relationally belong to one another. Conflict is an opportunity for growth every time. Opportunity for us to practice making peace with people every time. An opportunity for us to know who our God is and how he fights for us. An opportunity for us to grow in grace and forgiveness. An opportunity for us to see God be who he is. And in the same way Paul warns us about marriage and the conflict we have there, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Trouble. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling us that we will have trouble, conflict, sorrow, trial, disagreements, and fights. And then he says, take heart, be of good cheer, rejoice. And dare I say, like that verse in Colossians 3.15 that says, and always be thankful. Yes, I'm going to say it. Always be thankful because he has overcome it already. It doesn't give us cause to ignore conflict or to prove how right we are because we are believers. It would be to take his grace for granted. We are meant to use that grace to make more peace. The same grace that's been afforded to us to make peace with others. I know I'm getting on your nerves a little bit right now. But that's okay. I got the Lord, um, I, I had to develop this peacemaker seminar two years ago when I was in a graduate class at SEU for managing change and conflict. So I have lived and been living in this for two years. I have slowly moved to this place of peace that the Lord has called me. So I have great expectancy for what the Lord wants to do in your hearts and lives as well. And I want to remind us that as, as inhabitants of peace, our home is not a hiding place. When we move in there, it's not to hide and it's not a foxhole. That means we don't hide in there and throw our grenades and, and use our weapons at a distance. This memorial place that Laban and Jacob made, these piles of stone, the word for that in the Hebrew was mizpah, and it means strong tower. It means strong tower. As inhabitants of peace, your home is not a hiding place. It is a strong tower. And the righteous will run to it. Those who seek righteousness will run to it. That's the name of the Lord. And so as I have been working and living this out in my own life, I took a retreat a couple of weeks ago around my birthday, anniversary, kind of taking the Lord and, and asking him, like, what, how's it going? How are we doing? What do you want to show me? What am I learning? What was this year for us, Lord? And so as I'm sitting there, the Lord was just speaking to me and um, just loving on me. And it had been, there had been some conflict this year, some opportunities for growth. And I was like, how did I do, Lord? How'd it go? And he said, and he showed me this picture of a cylinder open on the bottom and the top. It was glass and it was thick and impenetrable, shatterproof but it was clear. And everywhere I walked in my vision, it went with me. It moved. And open on both ends, 
because I was connected to the earth. My place here was on the earth. My feet were secure on the earth, but I was open to heaven. And so as he was showing me this, I was like, this is so cool, Lord. He's like, you have used this, this, this shield, this cylinder around you is meant to keep you visible to the enemy, but that he can't touch you. I was like, oh, that's so cool. And he was like, but if you don't open it up, this vulnerability of yours is going to also keep people just at a distance. See, there's a door here. And you're meant to invite people into this place with you. It's the blessing that I offer you to teach and to be friend, to grow. And as you open it and they step in, you grow and things change and you both get better. And then he said, you're going to open the door sometimes. And if somebody means to harm you, What are you going to do? Somebody's in, it's like a glass cage. <laughs> Is it a cage fight? What's going to happen? He was like, no, no. If you let them in and they harm you, but they hurt you, they get the benefit of where you're positioned and the joy of being in a peaceful place and the safety of that place. And you, who are connected to heaven, I will draw you up in yours. He's good. There are going to be times when we're stepping in to make peace and we get hurt and it's scary and it's hard. But you are not in a place to be attacked by the enemy. You are safeguarded on all sides. The Lord goes with you. You are connected. He loves you so much. But there's some vulnerability that happens when we're making peace with people. It's a little messy. It's a little hard gets us real close. But you know who else it gets us close to? Lord. And that's his desire for us, you guys. That's why he called us there. This is a strong tower. So I'd like you to stand with me and just close your eyes. We are going to agree with the church's role in establishing peace today. We are going to agree with who we are called as peacemakers. And so for those of you who, as I was talking about the fight or flight, you would be the people who like to flee, the people who avoid conflict, the ones who want to run. I just want us to open our hands or put them on your heart if that's more comfortable. And I want you to say this after me. I choose to agree that I, as a believer, am the one who is called to establish peace. I choose to agree as a believer that I am the one who is called to establish peace. That's you. That's you and your verse that the Lord gave me for you as you were struggling to not flee. Is John 14 27 John 14 27 says I leave the gift of peace with you my peace not the kind of fragile peace given by the world but my prefer my perfect peace 
Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, beloved, be courageous. Instead, beloved, be courageous. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your heart. Instead, be courageous. So if you are a flight risk, then my prayer is that you can rest securely in Jesus' name and the Father's care. I pray that you will not yield to fear or be troubled in your heart, but instead be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Hear the voice of your Father. You are strong and courageous. For those of you who want to fight, you don't know anything but fighting. You don't know what it is to lay your weapons down. Maybe you do it physically, but in your heart, you constantly pick up weapons, constantly pick up weapons. And they're getting heavy. Just repeat after me. I choose to agree that as a believer, I am one who is called to establish peace. Come on, fighters. Say it with me again. I choose to agree that as a believer, I am one who is called to establish peace. Your verse is 2 Corinthians 13, 11. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. So if you are a fight risk, then my prayer is that you will stop fighting with God and yourself. Lay down your weapons. That in your anger you would restore and not resent. In your anger you would restore and not resent there is a justice a fight for justice in you and that's what the Lord has planted but a fight for justice is a cause to restore it's a call to restore injustice you want to fight against injustice you want and what is proclaimed over you is a call to restore that's where your energy goes a call to restore in the name of Jesus be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage your neighbor, encourage one another, and live in harmony and peace. This is your residence. Start moving in. Start moving in. Start packing up that old stuff. You don't need it anymore. You just leave it there. All those old weapons, all those running shoes, you just leave them there.